Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 109. Your 8311 cast host, um, we want to wish a wonderful farewell to Carl Schwarke, who is the public address announcer for the Iowa State Cyclones in Jack Trice Stadium, as well as the women's basketball team in Hilton Coliseum. He has 24 years on the mic uh, in Hilton and 20 years inside Jack and is retiring. Uh, he just called his last game, um, his last game against West Virginia, actually. Him and his wife are retiring down to Arizona, so we wish him all the best and want to give him a huge shout out for all of the, you know, the good times and, and the bad, I suppose, as well. It's been here for 20 years um, that he's brought towards Jack Trice Stadium and the fans that attend the games inside there. Shout out to him. Speaking of that game on Saturday, fun fact, we are on a running streak now of eight quarters inside Jack Trice Stadium where an opposing team has not scored a touchdown. So... Uh, next season, we'll see how long we can keep that streak alive. But West Virginia did not score a single touchdown throughout this game since we shut out Texas the week or the game previous. K State. Oh, K State. Uh, yeah, Texas was a shutout from what two or three years ago. Oh man. But uh, yeah. That is a fun fact. Fun fact. I had fun. I did fun watching that game. That was another nice, relaxing Cyclones game. Uh, well, sort of relaxing. I was a little little upset at the, the start of that game. But again, we blew out West Virginia. For the most part, the outcome of that game was never in doubt. Um, so that was also good. Um, yeah, I mean, the defense early took a, the bend but don't break mentality. I mean, West Virginia drove down at the start, um, and they had a decent first quarter. Overall, the Cyclones just played a sloppy first quarter. The defense gave up some yards. Um, on offense, we had a strange, um, um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty where the bench touched a defender and he acted and flopped over backwards and got called for unnecessary roughness. Brees Hall fumbled. Um, he recovered it, but still you don't want to fumble. You don't want to give a team like West Virginia the chance to, um, play just a sloppy first quarter, but the Cyclones definitely recovered from that and played a great game. Um, after that first quarter, the defense looked fantastic. Um, there was a lot of talk going in about Letty Brown um, being um, second to Brees Hall in the conference for running backs, and the Cyclones defense just throttled him and the rest of West Virginia's run game, holding them to only 54 yards. Um, the, the interesting stat that they continually uh, pointed out during this game was that when West Virginia rushed for over 200 yards collectively as a team, they were undefeated. But when they did not eclipse that mark, they were, I believe, was it 0-3 going into that game, something like that. And the Cyclones did what they needed to do to secure the victory there. They stymied the run. They held Letty Brown in check, and he looked inferior compared to Brees Hall. Yeah, he did. Brees Hall... Um... Went over 100 yards rushing again. He's gone over 100 yards rushing. Nope. He only hit 97 yards rushing on oh, the game. He? he had 100 scrimmage yards on the game. He had that long touchdown reception in the fourth quarter. Uh, 
and he did have one rushing touchdown. I believe that did that come in the third quarter and that tied a school record for 10 straight games with a rushing touchdown. Uh, so Brees Hall is in the record books for Iowa state now, but he did not eclipse the hundred yard mark once again, but he did get very, very close to, but still Brees Hall will finish the year as the leading rusher, most likely unless, you know, things go wild in the last two weeks of the big 12. Yep. Um, also the Cyclones were pretty efficient on offense, especially on third and fourth down. Um, they were eight for 12 on third down. And even four of those times they failed on third down on, uh, of those four times, two of them, they actually, um, were successful on fourth down. They were two of two on fourth down as well. Um, so, all around, just a just a good game. I mean, West Virginia's defense was one of the best defenses in the nation, and Iowa State's offense made them look like KU's defense, putting up forty two points on them. That's that putting up forty two points is impressive, no matter who you're playing, but especially when you're playing a top fifteen defense like West Virginia was going into uh, the game. So I did not expect Iowa State to put up that many points in this game. That was pretty impressive, is doing that to West Virginia. So actually, when you say top 15, you're not wrong. But one thing that I'd like to put out, point out is going into this game, they were ranked number one in total defense in the nation. Number one. So putting up 42 points against the number one defense in the nation, that's even better than just a top 15. Mm -hmm. They were number, and another thing to point out, they were number three in the country in third down uh, defense at 24.7% completion on third down. Iowa State in the game was near perfect on third down. They were eight of 12 on third, and they were two out of two on fourth down in the game. Mm -hmm. It was just a great, phenomenal offensive performance. And it was obviously masterminded by Brock Purdy, who was named Big 12 or Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week uh, with his stat line that is as followed. He was 20 of 23, 247 yards in the air, uh, 10.7 yards per attempt with three touchdowns, and he also had a rushing touchdown as well. Uh, and that was seven rushing attempts for 38 total yards. Yeah, it was just just a great performance. I mean, yeah. And if you want the comparisons on West Virginia's defense, right. For example, they held Texas to 17 points. They held TCU to six points, Kansas state to 10 points. I mean, this defense was taking some good offenses and making them look really bad. So the fact that Iowa state's offense put up 40, put up that many points, super impressive. And this was a defense that was rested too. They hadn't played in three weeks, so it's not like they're tired at the end of the season. That defensive line should have been rested, well-rested. I mean, how much credit can we give to this offensive line? This offensive line has been absolutely fantastic all season, give, keeping maintaining clean pockets for Brock Purdy, paving great running lanes, great gaps for Brees Hall to run through all year long. And uh, I forget what... Uh, watch list it is for the um, best offensive line in the country where they said it's like some 300 pound trophy. Uh, That just, that just makes me laugh that 
an offensive line gets a 300 pound trophy. I love it. But I mean, give credit where credit's due. This offensive line has been fantastic. Uh, and we did have a step in for an injury at the beginning of the season, right at right guard number 55 coming in. Yep. So it's not like, it's not like they were all, they've been starting the entire season. They've been starting most of this year, but they have just been fan. Absolutely fantastic. Yes, they absolutely have. It's been, it's been fun to watch. The, and, uh, the thing that's not so fun to watch though, are the penalties. And, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we preview the OU game and what Iowa state is going to have to do. But these penalties are just untimely, right? The thing that was so frustrating was, or I, I guess however you want to look at it, Iowa State had to score three touchdowns in one drive just to actually end up with seven points because they had two touchdowns called back by, penal, by way of penalties. What was it, a second and goal from the 30-yard line? It was something like that, yeah. I we thought had it was a- third. I, I, well, I think it was second and goal from the 30 yard mm-hmm. line because then they ended up getting a 17 yard uh, yeah. completion like that to Chase Allen, which was absolutely fantastic. Brock Purdy got all those yards back, and then the next play, they were able to punch it in. But I mean, whichever way you want to look at it, frustrating that we got all the penalties, but hey, pretty successful that the offense was doing very well that day to end up scoring three times on the same drive. Uh, to some degree, Cyclone fans like to think that we were doing that on purpose just to show how easy it was to score on West Virginia's defense. But, you know, that's up in the air. The, it's just frustrating, right? You have all of those timely penalties. It happened in games before where uh, we had talked about it before and in a couple of messages that we as hosts have been sending to each other is write that down. That holding call took possibly seven points off the board. And it was ended up being a four-point swing. I think that was in the Texas game where we only ended up with three points and we probably should have had seven where we were. Uh, it's happened multiple times in the year where the offense has gotten into the red zone and killed them, killed the drive with penalties. And that's something that needs to be cleaned up and tuned up for the next two games that the Cyclones are going to play uh, at the end of the season. Yeah, for sure. And Cyclones will have lots of time to clean that up. Um, they are going to the Big 12 championship game with that win against West Virginia. Not only did they lock up a spot in the Big 12 championship game, but they also locked up the outright regular season Big 12 championship. Everybody else um, has at least two losses in the conference, and Iowa State only has one. So Iowa State is the outright regular season conference champions. Um with Oklahoma State's loss and Oklahoma's win on Saturday, it was also um, determined that Oklahoma would be the Cyclones' opponent in the conference championship game um, December 19th. So that game is in two weeks. It is not this next weekend. Um, next weekend, the 12th, is actually the makeup week for all the games canceled by COVID. Iowa State did not have any of those, so they are on bye. Um, then December 19th, 11 a.m. on ABC in Dallas will be the um, the Big 12 championship game. Um, Iowa State will be the home team because um, we're the one seed. If it matters, it means we get to wear whatever we want. Um, yeah, ESPN, chrome domes. Bring out the chrome domes. Black. 
Do not wear black again. Don't. I'm gonna be upset if we wear black again. It's it's a day game. We can't wear black. I'm gonna be upset if we wear black again. The blacks look slick once or twice a year. I think we'd be at, we'd be at least five times wearing those blacks if we wore the blacks again in the Big Twelve Championship game. Don't do it. I mean, Don't they look it. so good though. I mean, yeah, but in the Big Twelve Championship game, national TV. I agree with Kyle. Wear the chrome domes. Wear the chrome domes. Bring the chrome. The chrome domes were such a statement for the Liberty Bowl, and we all know how that went. Bring them back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, FPI gives Iowa State about a 37% chance to win that football game. Maybe a little low, but I mean, it, it seems like it's going to be, it should be a competitive game. The line won't come out until um, after this weekend's game, since Oklahoma does play West Virginia this weekend. We won't expect a line until um, after that game just because of injuries or things that could change it. So, but there you go. Big 12 championship game. ISU Oklahoma will give you a preview of it in next week's episode, but mark that on your calendars. Um, Tell everybody you're busy because this is the first time in Iowa state history. So you better watch it. You better watch every second of it. Block it off now. And also with that, I don't know if, I can't remember if Mike mentioned the Cyclones are up to number nine in the country in the EP poll this week when it, this past Sunday. And also I will just like, I'm, I'm in a mood of giving out like congratulations and kudos, you know, props to the big 12 so far, the bit in all the teams, right. That as of next week, as long as nothing happens this week, the Big 12 will have played their full slate of regular season games this season, which is very impressive in uh, the you know situation that we are in with COVID and everything. The Big 10 can't say that. Uh, I don't know. It, I have to go through and look at the ACC and the SEC are slated to play all of their games or not. But the Big 12 and at least the players in the conference have taken things seriously. The teams have done a very good job of adhering to things. And, you know, we're going to see a full full conference slate in the Big 12 this year. But obviously, we're all super pumped for the Big 12 team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just one correction quick, Kyle. It's 10th in the AP poll, not 9th. So I just had to correct oh, that. 10th. My bad. You're all good. Um, but, yeah. Kudos to the Big 12. Um, Speaking of the Big 12, Big 12 basketball, though not conference games, but Big 12 basketball is underway. The Cyclones did play one one of two scheduled games this week. They played South Dakota State, um, but their game against DePaul was canceled due to COVID. COVID in the DePaul program, not the Iowa State program. Iowa State still continues to lead in their COVID uh, containment protocols. Um, good for them. Anyway, Kyle will fill us in on what happened in that Iowa State South Dakota State basketball game. Um, hint: It wasn't good. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a tale of two halves. So the first half, Iowa State absolutely struggled shooting. Um, they were down thirty-nine to twenty-seven at halftime, which isn't great. Uh, overall, in the game, they shot forty-eight percent from the field and only seventeen percent from three. So we're starting to see some of these three-point issues uh, carry over from last season. Uh, which, if all, I mean, I'm sure all of our listeners have a candid memory of what happened last year. We were absolutely abysmal from three the entire season. So more of those issues carrying over. 
again, out-rebounded. Um, and this was by a smaller lineup in South Dakota State. Uh, Cyclones just don't have a knack for getting to the boards, uh, but that's also comes with their style of play by playing four guards and only one post. Uh, they won the turnover margin just slightly uh, by they were plus two in that cat or minus two in that category, I should say. Uh, Solomon Young had a fantastic game. Uh, it was one of the best games of his career um, in that respect. And I am pulling up his stat line right now. He had 24 points uh, total. Uh, from the field. He finally got a rebound. So congratulations to Mike. We'll go over that later on in the episode. Uh, Five rebounds and he was perfect from the free throw line. So a little bit of consistency, but other than that, everyone else struggled. It was a tough shooting night for people like Jalen Coleman lands, who was two of eight from three. Uh, Bolton was 0 of four from three. um, And he had a turnover. Jalen Coleman lands had six turnovers himself. Not a great game there. George Condit in the limited action that he saw in the first half, he got two quick fouls and then only played about six minutes in the second half. And then Xavier Foster, if you're keeping track of him this year, he only played 49 seconds, which was a little surprising in this game. Uh, I would like to think that Steve Prome is trying to wait for him to continue to get up or build up some strength and get back up to speed. Uh, before they get into Big 12 play. So, fun. but there's your recap. Uh, this week, Iowa State has games slated uh, on the 11th. It's just one game they play on the 11th, and it is at Iowa. And <laughs> Iowa is currently ranked number three in the AP poll. So, how many points does Luca Garza score against this set of pitiful bigs for Iowa State? Uh, I think Luca. I think Luca Garza is going to show why he might be uh, the player of the year in this game. Um, at least this game will pad his stats a little bit. So, yeah, just Luke for people who haven't seen Luca Garza, Iowa State center or Iowa center, excuse me, not Iowa State's, um, um, was a candidate for player of the year last year. Obi Toppin at a date and ended up winning it. Um, but anyway, he decided to come back this year. He scored 30 points in the first half of Iowa's first two games this season. So, uh, yeah, I think he really would like some, uh, uh, some revenge for not winning player of the year last year. He's going to eat up Iowa state's bigs. I, this game will not be competitive. I'm sorry. It's like, I do not expect this game to be. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a tough game, but, uh, then the Cyclones can look forward to games the next week, again, they might have a bounce back game against the projected worst team in the Big 12, uh, K-State. And then after that, they have West Virginia, which has been playing really good basketball. Uh, they had a really good game against Gonzaga. So the season's going to be tough for the men's team. But as we get a little bit further away from football season, we will start informing you more on the women's team as well as they are have been playing well, especially Ashley Jones, who has been playing phenomenally so far. She just earned uh, player of the week for the Big 12 this week as well. So 
Stay and, and tuned that, and we will keep you updated. And that's in a week where the Cyclones lost both Cyclone women lost both of their games. So if that that tells you how she's playing, the team went 0 and 2 in the week and she was still the Big 12 player of the week. So that's how phenomenal she's playing. Uh Chris Williams from Cyclone Fanatic actually uh tweeted this week and said uh name five uh, women in college basketball that are playing better right now than Ashley Jones, dot, dot, dot. I'll wait. I don't know if I could name five other women's basketball players if you don't count Iowa state players. So that probably doesn't help. Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. So we will keep you updated on all things cyclone basketball as we uh, start to wrap up the football season. But right now we are, obviously obviously enthralled with uh the cyclones being in the big 12 championship game first time ever so as i reference football again uh the nfl was able to play another week of the season uh as we are recording this podcast there are games happening on monday night football they have a double header but on sunday uh the Saints with a tight end for quarterback are three and oh since Drew Brees pretty much broke every single rib in his body uh and can't breathe. Uh but they're three and oh and they rolled over the Atlanta Falcons this week. Uh not as not as much as they rolled over the Denver uh quarterless den- quarterbackless Denver Broncos the past week, but Still, a win is a win, and they have actually clinched. They were the first team to clinch a playoff berth uh, this year out of the end. One of the most surprising games of the week, there were actually, uh, is the Baker-led Browns stun the Tennessee Titans. They went into halftime of this game up 38-7. to when is the last time that the Browns have gone into halftime up 38 to seven? Oh, wait, you probably can't name it or remember it unless it's probably from like the sixties. The Browns just don't do that. Granted, they only end up scoring three points in the second half because they probably don't know how to play with such a lead, but they end up winning the football game, no matter what, with a final score of 41 to 35, the Titans did try and make it interesting, but weren't able to pull off the comeback of such a end deficit. Uh, elsewhere in the NFC, the bears got beat by the lions who are without a head coach and a GM. I'm sorry. That's just too funny. The bears after starting five and oh, have absolutely collapsed. They are most likely going to miss the playoffs now. And they they've got some issues in Chicago. That yeah. David, David Montgomery did score two touchdowns in that game though. So that was good to see for the bears. He had some injury issues um, in his first year, but now he's definitely been playing well this year. So it's well, and he had he had some injury issues in his second year too. He just came off the concussion protocol, yeah, uh, or came out of the concussion protocol it, last week against the Packers. He had a really good game against the Packers as well with the rushing touchdown, and then this week having two total touchdowns. Good to see David Montgomery doing really well. Uh, Moving on, another surprising game is the winless Jets narrowly pulled one off. Um, but, you know, when you're the worst team in football, t- things like this happen to you as the Raiders were able to score a 46-yard touchdown in the final six seconds of the game. Uh, 
corner got absolutely burnt by Henry Ruggs, who's got elite speed for the Raiders, uh, scoring that 46-yard touchdown pretty much as time expired, and the Jets are still winless. Uh, Brian Flores, probably a can't, he could be a candidate for Coach of the Year as, as well as uh, Kevin Stefanski for the Browns. He has the Dolphins playing really well, but he is also trying to fight he tried to fight the entire Bengals team uh, when their punt returner, uh, Jakeem Grant, got absolutely laid out before he was able to catch the football. Uh, Flores didn't take too kindly to that, and neither did any of the Dolphins. They all banded together, and Flores was pretty much about ready to throw hands with the Cincinnati Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, I believe. And it was it was funny to watch. It was great. I love seeing a head coach fired up and out there supporting his players. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa gets another win, and the Dolphins are still in the hunt and actually are in the AFC playoff picture right now. Speaking of playoff picture, uh, man, the Vikings are still in it, right, Mike? But just by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, the Vikings are definitely still in it here. Um, they managed to beat the Jaguars on Sunday. Um, the game definitely should not have been close. I mean, Jacksonville's bad. But despite that, this is a game that went to overtime. The Vikings looked flat in the first half um, and gave up another defensive touchdown on their first play from scrimmage in the second half. Um Second week in a row, they've given up a touchdown um, to an opposing defense to open the second half. But Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook managed to lead them back to a lead. Um, And um, the Jaguars did manage to score late in the game to turn it into an overtime affair. But the Vikings ended up kicking the game-winning field goal in overtime. Dan Bailey, who had missed three kicks in the game, two extra points and a field goal. Um, kicked the game-winning field goal to give the Vikes the edge. Um, And yeah, like Kyle mentioned, because um, the Rams knocked off the Cardinals, a Cardinals team that really didn't look very good at all. Um, Granted, the Rams' defense is good, but that Cardinals team did not look good at all. Um, The Vikings are now in the seventh seed. Remember, expanded playoffs in the NFL for this year. The Vikings are now the seventh seed in the NFC. They've looked terrible in three games against bad football teams, losing to Dallas and then barely beating the uh, the Panthers and Jaguars. But six and six has you in the playoffs right now. A huge game next week for the Vikings against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, that could decide. Um, that would actually, if the Vikings could win that, they'd be ahead of the Buccaneers too in the playoff race in the NFC. So just a huge game for um, playoff seeding in the NFC. Um, The Vikes are in decent shape to make the playoffs despite playing poorly. I mean, remember we were all talking about tanking, or I was talking about tanking for a top five pick after week six. And now I'm talking playoffs. It's been a strange year in the NFL and a strange year to be the Vikings, be a Vikings fan. That's just the way it works out, and that's how the cookie crumbles. Uh, The NFC West has been shaken up a lot as of late. As Mike alluded to earlier, the Rams uh, regained control of the NFC West. They they outdueled the Arizona Cardinals with a final score of 38-28. to Arizona had the lead in this game. 
Uh, and after being in first place in the NFC West, the Arizona Cardinals have stumbled a bit and now have some work to do to uh, main stay in the playoff picture uh, in that division. Uh, I mentioned to shake up the Seahawks laid an egg at home to the New York Giants uh, with a final score of 17 to 12. Uh, the New York Giants were without Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, uh, and they still go in and manage to beat the Seahawks. Their defense played phenomenal. They held Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett all in check uh, and were able to travel back out east with a win. And that's a New York Giants team that is now leading the NFC East and very much so in the playoffs uh, as the four seed in the NFC at five and seven. Uh it is a wild time in the NFL. The Patriots, believe it or not, I was talking about how they were dead earlier. They're at six and six. They absolutely decimate the Los Angeles Chargers. LA looked absolutely atrocious. They have issues on special teams. They had a block kick at the end of the first half. There was a return for a touchdown by the Patriots. Patriots only threw for 69 yards game. Um, so they didn't have to do very much, but when you run for over 200 yards in the game, that that helps uh, as they, the Patriots are close. I mean, they're two games out of the playoff picture in the AFC. The Chiefs escaped the Raiders. <clears throat> I mean, the Broncos this week. If you saw Travis Kelsey's post-game interview, he had an absolute shot at the Denver Broncos saying that the Oakland Ra or that the Oakland Raiders have devised a great plan to play them really tough two games this year on defense. Uh, the rivalry is alive and well in the AFC West, even though the Chiefs have beat the Broncos in 11 straight games. Uh, with this win, the Chiefs have allowed uh, fewer than 21 points for the eighth time this season, uh, which is the most by any team in the NFL. Uh, and over the or since 2015, the Chiefs are 34, 31 and four in the AFC West, which is the best. Uh, record in a six-year span since the 1970 merger against divisional opponents. Uh, so the Chiefs are absolutely dominant in the AFC West right now. Uh, the Chiefs ended up where the, they ended up being the second team to clinch a playoff spot uh, this year after the New Orleans Saints. And now I will give you a rundown of the AFC an NFC playoff picture in the AFC. The Steelers still have the uh, one seed and overall buy uh, as there's only one buy this year. The chiefs are the two bills. Three Titans are still four. Uh, the Colts are the seven seed dolphins are the six seed and the Browns are the fifth seed as the Browns move on up in the NFC. The new Orleans saints have the number one overall buy right now. Packers are the two seed, Rams at three, Giants four, Seahawks five, Bucks sixth, and Vikings slide into seventh spot. Uh, in the AFC, wildcard teams looking in, you have the Raiders, uh, Ravens, and Patriots, as everyone else is pretty much out of it. And in the NFC, you have the Cardinals, uh, 49ers, and I technically the Bears are all jostling for position in the NFC. As everything unfolds and unwinds, we will keep you apprised of everything NFL in this. Yes, we will. And like we do every week in everyone's favorite segment, the Mike Stupid Rules segment, 
will make you smarter about rules. Um, this week, we are going to stick with football. We're going to go to the NFL rules, where today we are going to talk about um, punts and um, downing a punt um, and things like and things like that. So um, the rule we're going to be looking at today is Rule 9, Section 2, Article 2. That involves downing a punt, which is actually called officially in the rule book is called first touching beyond the line of scrimmage. Now, according to the NFL rule book, um, first touching is when a player of the kicking team touches the punt in the field of play beyond the line of scrimmage before it has been touched by the receiving team. Okay. So now um, when that ball is first touched by the kicking team, that ball remains in play. The ball is not dead when it is first touched. Um, According to the NFL rules, this is a quote, first touching is a violation. So it is not a penalty, but it is a violation of the rules. Therefore, because of that, the receiving team has the option of taking possession of the ball either where the first touching occurred or wherever the ball is dead. Now, usually they'll pick whichever is better. I mean, you could pick the worst one, but you know, nobody ever does. Um, So what this means is that in a situation where the ball is touched by the kicking team, the receiving team can attempt to pick up and return that ball with no negative consequences, right? The worst thing that can happen if the receiving team picks up the ball is that they get the ball at the place where the first touching occurred, but they have, everything to gain and nothing to lose. Even if they end up muffing it and the kicking team recovers, once the kicking team has touched it, they could always choose to reset it back to the point where that first touching violation occurred. So um, since that first touching violation occurred, basically it means once the punt is touched by the kicking team, the receiving team can have nothing bad happen to them unless they're an idiot and deliberately choose the bad thing after it happens. So there you go. Technically, downing a punt is a violation, not a penalty, but a violation. So there you go. First touching on punts in the NFL. Rule 9, Article 2, Section 2. I hope you all feel enlightened because that was enlightening for me, at least. I didn't know it was a violation. I definitely knew about the part where um, you could choose which one to have, but I didn't know it was technically classified as a violation. Technically, I didn't know the NFL had a category of things called violations even. So this was, this was enlightening to me. I hope it was to you all as well. Um, we're about to have another enlightening segment where we enlighten everyone about how bad we are at predictions or for some of us, how good we are at predictions. It, uh, it depends. It was a mixed bag this week. Um, we actually did have predictions that came off the board for our accountability session. First one from Wyatt. He predicted the Browns. Um, would win a majority of their games this year. Um, they are now nine and three, so they will win a majority of their games this year. Um, so for that, well, I could say ding, 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 ding. Um, I predicted that Wyatt would finish in one of the last two spots um, in fantasy football this year. As the regular season is winding down to its final two days, Wyatt could finish anywhere from seventh to fifth in our 10-team league. No matter what, that is not um, one of the last two spots. So for that, he gets it. I get a 
Nah. 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 Kyle predicted that Iowa State football would win the Big 12 regular season title, which, as we already told you, they did. So, ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. ding. Kyle predicted that Iowa football would finish below 500, not counting bowl games. Um, they only have two weeks left, and they're five and two, so that means they will be above 500. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. 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 Um, when Drew Brees got injured, I predicted that the Saints would fall out of the playoffs, but um, through, you know, with Taysom Hill is definitely not falling out of the playoffs. Especially so, when they've already clinched a playoff berth. Yep. So for that, I get a nah. Nah. Um, and lastly, last week, somehow they let me get away with predicting that Solomon Young would get at least one rebound this year. Um, he did. He had five um, in the game in South Dakota State. So there you go. Five. Uh, so for that, I get a ding, 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 ding. That is everything that has come off the board. So, Kyle, would you like to put things back on the board for us, get us started? I'd love to. Uh, so my prediction, I just pulled this one out of nowhere, uh, is that Iowa State will make a New Year's Six Bowl this year. Okay. I like that prediction. So if we beat Oklahoma, we're guaranteed a New Year's Six Bowl. Right. We'll go to the Cotton Bowl for sure. If we lose to Oklahoma, we still might get a New Year's Six Bowl game. As an at-large, right? Yeah. What do you think? I'm between a single and a double for this one. But oh, I for a double. I don't think that's that's not a single prediction. I feel like the only way to guarantee it is you have to win the Big 12 championship. Yes. But and I mean, this, basically, if you finish in the top 12 in the rankings this year, you'll get a New Year's Six Bowl, right? Because Cincinnati is likely to finish in the top 12 already. Um, and get the group of five automatic um, bid. But will Iowa State get, with three losses, get a New Year's six over an undefeated Coastal? I don't know. But if you're in the top 12 of the in the nation, you'll get a New Year's six. I'm fine with a double. I'm just, I, I think a double is the right one. I'm fine with that. I'm just saying this might be easier than some people think it would be. Mm-hmm. Um. I am going to uh, hedge my bets a little bit because I have a prediction that the Vikings will have a top five draft pick. And well, now that seems pretty unlikely. So I got to put something on the upside now. So I'm going to predict that the Vikings will make the playoffs. So according to 538, our favorite site for all things NFL, they give the Vikings a 38% chance to make the playoffs. Um, And the next but, so basically, right now they're battling with the 49ers and the Cardinals. Yep. They give the Niners a 38% chance and the Cardinals a 34% to make yeah. the playoffs. Basically, the the five basically five playoff spots in the NFC are pretty much decided. Um, the sixth and seventh are up for grabs with um, Tampa also being in the mix, but they have an 82% chance. Uh, the Vikings have the eighth hardest remaining strength of schedule in the NFL. Yeah. The Vikings have to go to Tampa and to new Orleans in the last four weeks of the year. They also get the lions and the bears. Um, and then the Niners have the 17th hardest and the Cardinals have the 25th hardest remaining schedule. So just going out 538. So was that a rough 40% chance of making it? 
38. Yeah. 38. That's uh that's double for us, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, but I was looking at the strength of schedule to see if we needed to turn that up a little bit. That's fair. Yeah, double seems reasonable. Sweet. I am going to say that Iowa State breaks out into the top five in some poll this year, um, being the AP playoff or coaches poll. Okay, so you need to change that. You need to rephrase that prediction. If the college football playoff is in there, that is a ranking, not a poll. You know, it, it's a, it's still a list of things. Ranking, but poll. you knew what I meant. Not a poll, it's a ranking. So you're saying they're making a top five in one of yeah. them. Yeah, in one of the, the lists of things. So, man, the only way – so I was thinking about this, right, yeah. because – if they make it into the top five, you're pretty much saying that they're on the cusp of being in the college football playoff. So how is this going to happen? Uh, we really are going to need Notre Dame to beat Clemson yes. in the yep. ACC championship game. And you're going to need Alabama to beat Florida in the SEC championship game uh, to have a chance. But then Texas A&M is still in there. Texas A&M can move up and take the four spot. What are we going to jump Cincinnati? Yep. Good question. Yep. If Florida loses, will we jump them? Does Florida have a better record in the committee's eyes? Yeah, keep in mind that um, we're already a two-loss team, and we're talking about other teams that would just be falling to two losses. There's no guarantee right. to top them. Well, but, definitely you have to, you have to I, consider the quality of those losses too, right? Iowa what State uh, – let me, let me look this up. Iowa State had uh, the – oh, where did I have that? Go ahead and say what you were saying, Wyatt. I was just going to say you have to look at the quality of the losses, right? We have two losses. One, um, Raging Cajuns, which are currently number 17, right? That, that's a relatively yep. impressive record for a non-Power 5 school. Mm-hmm. The other loss being Okie State, which was thought of highly at the time that we lost to them, too. So I feel like those are relatively quality losses at that point. So to back up Wyatt's point, I was, this is from uh, the Bear on College Game Day, who does like sports betting over under stuff. Iowa State has faced six FPI top 40 opponents this season with a four and two win loss record. That's more than any other team right now in the college football playoff top 20. There's so, a lot of stuff that has to happen before we even get to the point where, where we take that into consideration. But we're assuming a, a lot of losses. I'm thinking this is a triple or a home run. I'm thinking triple based off of was, like their FPI top run. 40. I don't, think, I don't think we get up to five. I'm thinking home. Yeah. Sure, because we got to beat OU first in order for this to even yep. have a chance. Yep. Yep. Yep, I'm thinking home run. Man, imagine – like, just imagine we're actually even talking about this, though, right? right? We're, talking about, we're, we're talking about realist, somewhat yeah. realistic scenario. I mean, yeah, there yeah. is a realistic path to it happening, too. It's not likely, but it is somewhat realistic. Bonus fun fact in the middle of my thing, uh, our highest AP pool ranking was number nine in 2002. So, so if you beat Oklahoma, you'll be yeah. above that for sure. Yep. We have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's doing good. Um, he predicts um, – so last week he predicted that the Packers would win out, so obviously they'd win the division in that case. Um, he's now this week predicting that the Bears will finish – Second in the division, ahead of the Vikings and the Lions. Uh, They're tied with the Lions right now, aren't they? Yep, and a game behind the Vikings. And right now they don't have the tiebreaker over either of those teams. The Bears do have the sixth, seventh easiest remaining strength of schedule because they get the Jaguars and the Texans. But they also have the Vikings and the Packers on this. Right. 
is the pack the Packers are the last game of the season, right? Yep. Correct. Depends on if the Packers have it clinched up and they're uh yep. resting everyone. Yep. I think this is probably a triple. Maybe. Because I think I think if there's gonna be a team that wins games, it's gonna be the gonna be the Vikings. I, w- I would tend to agree. I think a triple's a good one here. Triple it is. No cycle this week. We had two doubles, a triple, and a home run. But that's okay. Because with those four scores, we conclude our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 109 of the 8311 cast. We appreciate you sticking around. Make sure you check us out on Instagram at 8311cast. Drop us a line on our contact page at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact if you feel like it. Signing off for the 8311cast favorite hosts. Kyle Mersch. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.